0: Father you are indeed good and today God it's just a celebration. God we just celebrate you. We celebrate the fact that you are good. We celebrate the fact that you are gracious. Father as we go into Christmas time as we approach the time we celebrate the birth of your son Jesus. God I know that we have a lot of things on our minds. We have a lot of things that we're thinking about and and Lord so many of those things they're good things, God, but they're not you. Lord, I pray that that this Christmas, it would be different. I pray that this, t- this Christmas, it would be just a different mentality, a different heart set, a different mindset. Lord, I pray that this Christmas, we would be fixed on you. Lord, it would be about you. Lord, I know that, that, that we celebrate a, a lot of things, God, and, and, and we celebrate a lot of things at Christmas time that, that aren't necessarily you, but I pray that the number one in our lives would be Christ, and, and Christ would be everything that we're about every single day of our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would just open up our minds and our hearts, and God, help us to see, help us to see clearly through your word exactly what we're supposed to see. God, open us up right now. Uh, Get us ready, God, to receive your word, and may you be glorified as our lives are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting a new series today. Um, God just kind of hit me with this. I'm not really sure. Where it's going, I know that each week it's going to be a different topic, but the foundation of it is "tis the season," right? So it's a uh, a very common phrase that you hear right now. "Tis the season," um, you know. And I, when I think about "tis the season," I think about Christmas time, and I think about the things that we celebrate uh, as part of Christmas. The things that come to mind when you think about Christmas, we think about a lot of stuff, and a lot of that stuff doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with Christmas, right? And, and not to say that those are bad things. Um, we love Christmas trees. We love Christmas lights. We love Christmas food. We love being around family at Christmas time. That doesn't mean that those are bad things. It just means that those are, are some other things that we associate with Christmas. Well, I thought about this year, as we approach Christmas, let's, let's just take a moment and consider, if we look back at, at the original time when Christ was born, what was, what was the situation? What was going on? And more importantly, what was the heart condition that God was trying to, trying to convey that we were supposed to be in when Christ was born? What was going on at the time? What was the condition of people's hearts? What was God trying to do? What was God trying to show us at that point in time in history? You know, I mean, I, I know that, that in my family, we have a lot of traditions. When I say we have a lot of traditions, We have a lot of traditions. There are certain times when we have to put up the Christmas tree. Uh, The Christmas tree usually has to go up before Thanksgiving. Some people are very, like, militant about that. Like, it has to go up before Thanksgiving or it has to go up after Thanksgiving. Like, and you can't vary, you know. If you vary and you put it up before Thanksgiving, when you're an after Thanksgiving person, then it is like you have sinned against God. You know what I mean? Like Like, you're either a before Thanksgiving person or an after Thanksgiving person. And if you do one or the other, you stick to that, right? In my family, we happen to be a before Thanksgiving kind of people. So when people come over for Thanksgiving, they know the tree is going to be up, right? Uh, We have a tree. Our tree is going to be decorated every year with with ornaments that have sentimental value, okay? We don't vary from that. We're not one of these people that are going to do different ornaments this year and do other ornaments. It's going to be our sentimental ornaments are going on the tree in the living room that will be in the same spot that it was in last year. And on the top of the tree will be the Mickey star, okay? So Mickey, is, Mickey Mouse is holding a star. We are big Disney fans in our house. We have a star on the top of our tree. It is a Mickey Mouse that, that is holding a star, okay? And, and that Mickey Mouse we got, I don't know how many years ago. It's back in like 2003 or something. And we've had it forever, I don't know what would happen if it got broken. It's like fragile and made of porcelain or something. I, like Cassidy is absolutely obsessed. That is what goes on top of our tree. It is what has gone on top of our tree every year. That is what will go on top of our tree, right? So we have a lot of traditions, I guess you would say, in our house. And, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that. Those are fun and those are good family memories. And, and that's all great and wonderful. But what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to get so wrapped up in all these other things and making all these memories so much so that we neglect our heart and we forget to pause for just a moment and see where our hearts are and where our hearts need to be as we go and we reflect on Christ. Because Christmas time, in case you didn't know, is a good time to go and reflect on Christ. Now, we can debate all day long, and I will be the first one to admit that more than likely, Christ was not born in the wintertime, okay? Like, if you look at all the things that surround that, I look, I'm a historian too. I can deal with that. We can have this whole conversation. It wasn't on December 25th. We can look at, back at history and say why well, we came up with that date. That's all fine and wonderful. We celebrate it on December 25th, okay? So it's a good time for us to pause and examine our hearts as we approach Christmas time because people are celebrating Christmas on December 25th here in the United States, okay? Am I right about that? So let's, let's just acknowledge that that's when it is. So now is a good time for us to reflect on our hearts. Okay? So that's what I want us to do for just a moment. For the next few weeks, let's just take a moment to pause and, and, and let's, let's put the Christmas traditions aside for just a moment. And, and, and I know that family's coming over and you've got a lot of family things that you've got to organize and, and you've got to cook and you've got to buy gifts for so-and-so and you've got to... Like, I know. And I got all those same stresses in my life too. Okay? Look, I got to buy... Presents for, for people, and I don't even know all the presents I'm supposed to buy right now, okay? And I'm behind the eight ball because I hadn't bought those yet, but that's okay. But I do want us to pause while we're here and reflect on the conditions of our heart because I really believe that, that a lot of times we don't, we don't do that enough, do we? I mean, I, I know we talk about God's Word in here, and, and, and the overflow of God's Word is like a mirror to us, and, and, and it causes us to do surgery on our hearts. God's just doing surgery on our hearts and the work of the Holy Spirit, and I know that that happens, but, but I want us to, to consciously throughout the week, as we go, out, go throughout the week, to, to examine our hearts, to look at our hearts, to look at what's going on inside of us, so that we might be able to say, you know what? I want my heart to be in the right place as we approach Christmas. I want my heart to be in a different place than it was, you know, before December rolled around, you know? So that's what I thought we would do. And the, the first place I thought we would start is I got to thinking, God just, boom, just like put this on my heart. When I got to thinking about, tis the season, where our hearts should be. And I could not help but to think about this, this word repentance, okay? Tis the season for repentance is the name of this uh, this particular week, right? So this week we're going to look at repentance. Repentance comes out of something else, actually, and the the reason I came to repentance was because I started out of I wanted in my own heart for Christmas time I want a revival of the Holy Spirit of uh, the work of God in my life. I just want a revival of that. Now, a revival is a work of God that happens. Um, in your life, and it's when God just kind of stops everything, and time just kind of stops, and, and you, you have this just amazing overflow of the work of God in your life, and the Holy Spirit just kind of shakes you up and, and just kind of twists you around a little bit. And, and if you've never experienced what I'm talking about, it is a wonderful time for you to just get just woke. You know what I mean? Like just, just shaken to your core by the Holy Spirit. And you just become acutely aware of yourself and your heart condition. And I have been a part of these at so many different, uh, youth camps and stuff like that where you go and it's just like, all of a sudden you can see your heart for what it really is. And when that happens, when God starts this revival, it always begins with something else. And that is repentance. Revival always starts with repentance. And repentance is just exactly this. It is just turning from the current way that you are, turning towards Christ. Turning away from your existing situation and turning towards Christ. And if you think about Christ coming, and when you think about Jesus coming to the earth, the message that Christ preached was a message of repentance. Repentance. The message that John the Baptist preached was a message of repentance, and that's the first thing. You know, you think about who came before Christ. John the Baptist came before Christ. So I thought, well, that's a good place to start. Let's start with John the Baptist. So I thought this morning, instead of going to Luke chapter 2, to the Christmas story, let's go to Luke chapter 1 and talk about John the Baptist for just a minute. If we want to talk about repentance, if we want to talk about this revival that we want to happen in our hearts and in our lives, this amazing work of God for God to shake us up to our core, and we want to start with repentance, let's talk about the guy who started with a message of repentance, and that is John the Baptist. So what you've got to understand is John the Baptist, when he shows up on the scene, and we're going to read uh, this particular passage in just a second, but God has been largely silent for 400 years the book of Malachi kind of wraps up and God's been silent for 400 years. That's a long time. If you think about the condition of the United States of America 400 years ago, what could you say? Well, first of all, there was no United States of America, right? Like, like there was, you know, some people sailing on a boat somewhere around, you know, trying to find some land maybe, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's where we were. I mean, we weren't even in existence at all, you know. I, I, I mean, th- it, was, it was like You think about how long ago 400 years was, that's quite a while for God to be largely silent. The the last prophet uh, was on the scene some 400 years before we finally hear from God again. And that's where we are in Luke chapter 1 when God finally speaks and John the Baptist kind of shows up on the scene. So today, that's where we'll be. Admittedly, today's going to be kind of short because um, we need to uh, do the packing of our shoeboxes today, so we're going to kind of wrap up things a little early today, but in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now, what you got to understand, one of the things is that uh, Herod was king of Judea, Judea, and, and Herod was kind of an evil guy. He worked his way to the top by killing his family members. If he thought that you were going to take over his throne, he would have you killed. Doesn't matter if you were family or not you know, sons or whatever. It doesn't matter. He was going to make sure that he maintained power and control. And you remember when Jesus was born, when he heard that the Messiah was going to be born, what did he do? He, he had everybody in that area in Bethlehem killed, all the infants killed in that area, right? Just because he was so jealous. He was evil, you know? He was the only Jewish uh, in namesake, I mean, he wasn't really per se a Jew, but he kind of sort of had a Jewish heritage, but not really a Jew per se. And Herod was in, in control, and things are pretty dark in that particular time. In Israel, things are not really going well. You know, God just kind of interjects here, and I want you to understand that, that the revival kind of starts here in a very dark and dismal time. It's been 400, 400 years since God has really spoken, and Herod is in control, an evil ruler is in control. We've seen this before in, in the, the struggle of God's people, but it's a very dark time. And I know that, that when we get in a dark place, when it seems like, man, we're distant from God, like God hasn't spoken for a long time, we almost kind of tend to give up, don't we? Like, God, what's going on? I don't understand. It's, it's, things just keep getting worse and worse and worse, and you seem to be more and more and more distant, and I don't understand what's going on here. And, and I don't understand why, why I feel like you're so distant from me, and I feel like you're not going to do anything. Well, I think we need to take a lesson from that and say, you know what, that's exactly the place that the people of Israel are in when God shows up and does something amazing. King Herod is in control. And, and this guy is a priest. His name's Zechariah. Now, Zechariah means God remembers. Oh, what a cool name that is. I wish my name was God remembers. God remembers Nix. That would be a cool name, wouldn't it? So here we are. We start with God remembers. That's, that's a good way to start. All right, so things aren't going so great for the people of Israel. But we start with a guy named God remembers. All right, sounds good. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife uh, Elizabeth, which by the, by the way means God's oath, uh, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and, and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, it's not to say that Zechariah and Elizabeth were perfect people. They were not perfect because they they were not God. They they simply were people that did their best. They did their best to obey God's commandments and they they tried their best to live a godly life and they walked with God every single day of their life. I think we should pause for just a second here to say something, and that is that I know you're not perfect. In case you're wondering, I've talked to enough people in my days in ministry to recognize you're not perfect, okay? Okay. I also know, by the way, that I'm not perfect. In case there is any misconception in your minds about me, I can go ahead and and tell you and put your mind at ease to tell you I am not perfect. Zechariah and Elizabeth are not perfect. They are just simply people that are walking with God, doing their best, and trying their best to understand what God would have for their lives, and they're walking with God. Do you know what God wants you to do? you best. He wants you to try. Have you ever thought about that for just a minute? You, you wonder, well, what, is, what, what am I supposed to do? There's no way I'm going to obtain this level of perfection. And I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I know that I, I, I'm, I'm not supposed to be a grace abuser by saying, you know what? I can do whatever I want to now because I am saved by God's grace. I keep falling short and and I have this struggle with sin. What am I supposed to do? Try. Try to be good. Try to walk with God. Try to listen to God. Listen to His Holy Spirit. When God corrects you on something, listen to Him. When God changes your path, you follow Him. That's so why we call it simple church, right? It's simple. It ain't easy, but it's simple. Say, so try. I think these are two people. You know what they did? They weren't perfect. I think they tried. Wait, they tried. And of course, we run into a situation here. They're old, they're beyond childbearing years. Okay, yeah. We've heard this story before, right? There always seems to be somebody in the Bible that's beyond childbearing years. And we can kind of see the foreshadowing. What's going to happen? Well, duh, we know what's going to happen, right? We get an old lady that can't have kids in the Bible. We know what's coming, right? All right, we'll, go, we'll get there. Just chill out. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. as was custom for the priest. He was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While he, the incense was, was being burned... A great crowd stood outside praying. So what's going on here is Zechariah was a priest, and there were thousands of priests in Israel in that day and time, and, and, and what's going on here is his time came up. They, ruled, they rolled the dice. They, they, they cast the lottery or whatever, and, and his number came up. Once you got to go and serve at the temple, it was a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Your name got withdrawn from the lottery. You don't get to do it anymore. So this was a big deal for Zechariah. He, he got in there, and he's like, oh, man. I get to serve in the temple in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. This is a once-in-a-lifetime deal for me. Man, I am stoked about this. And it already said they're already getting old, so he probably thought time was ticking. He may not ever, get, he may not ever be able to get in there, you know? So he was, he was probably stressing a little bit. I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to get in there to, to work in the temple. His number came up. He got in there. So he's working in the temple, and, and, and it's, it's his turn, okay? So he's on duty. He's doing his thing. He's burning incense, and the crowd is standing outside praying. Now, what are they praying? They are praying basically this. They are praying, God, rescue us. God, save us. God, send Messiah to rescue us. And I believe wholeheartedly that as as Zechariah is going into serving the temple, I believe that's what's on his heart and on his mind as well. That's what he hears as he's going into the temple. It's like, God, rescue us. God, send Messiah. God please do something, intervene in our lives, rescue us, save us. And that's what he's got on his mind as he goes into the temple. And I imagine that's what he's praying. That's what he's got, the thoughts that are running through his heart and his mind. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. That's pretty cool. Standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. By the way, if you've got any ideas that that angels look like cherubs and they got you know cute little wings and they're white and and they're they're pale colored with you know their little butt showing and all that, that would be a wrong picture of an angel because every time they show up on the scene, they always got to tell everybody, hey, don't be afraid, okay? So here they got to be very intimidating looking and and they're so righteous and holy and I, I believe that they're they're, they're just like. They've got to be overwhelming, and it's got to put fear in your heart. And, and immediately, the angel says, don't be afraid. Zechariah was shaken with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, they, there's like two possibilities here. Okay, like what, what was this prayer? Was this prayer that God would rescue them, Would God would save them? And then let's look at what else it says. Okay, so your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and and you you are to name him John. So his prayer probably had been that God would send a Messiah, that God would send a Savior, that God would send somebody to rescue them. And here, the angel of the Lord is saying, God's heard your prayer, and he's going to answer your prayer. And then he starts talking about the fact that God is going to give your wife a son. Now, how does that all line up? It's really cool, isn't it, the way that God does stuff that we don't expect. And we, we, we have a prayer in our hearts, and we got a prayer uh, on our lips, right? So we, we, a lot of times we have a, a prayer that's kind of in the back of our minds that we kind of, we, a lot of times we don't really expect it to get answered. It's something that we would really like to happen, but we really don't think it ever will. You ever have those? Like, like man, it really would be nice, but I, I really kind of feel bad for asking God for this. I'm really not sure if I should even pray this and ask God for this, but it's kind of like the desires of your heart, if you will. At the same time, you're, you're praying with your lips a, a, a more righteous prayer, a more holy prayer, if you will. One that is, you know, what, this is what I believe I should be praying for. So I'm praying with my lips. I'm praying this prayer, God send us a Messiah. God send us an answer to our prayer. Send us a rescuer. And I believe the angel of the Lord is saying here is I've got an answer and it's the answer to both of them. It's an answer to not only the one that you're praying with your lips, but also a one that's in the back of your mind, the, the, the desires of your heart. It's also that one, too. I know you and Elizabeth have been praying for a kid in the back of your mind. You probably, together, have probably been praying for a son in the back of your mind. I'm going to answer both of them. Isn't it so beautiful how God works sometimes? in a way that we don't expect, in a way that we never saw coming. And God is doing this amazing, miraculous work. And it is just absolutely incredible. And the angel of the Lord says, I heard you. He didn't say, I just heard your lips. He said, I heard your heart too. He said, God's gonna give you and your wife a son and you're gonna name him John, which means God is gracious. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He, he must never touch wine or, any, or other al- alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, and he will turn many Israelites to, to the Lord their God. He will be a man filled with, a, uh, with spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts of, their, of, their, of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Right, you like, wow, that's a lot of information there. What's going on here? So first of all, he says, he says you're going you're gonna to have this boy born, and his name's going to be John, which means God is gracious, right? And that's the first thing he points out to him. Tells him what his name is going to be. He says he will be great in the, the sight of the Lord, and he tells him he's not supposed to touch anything alcoholic. Now, we talked about the fact that that more than likely, John was supposed to be a Nazirite, and he was supposed to take the Nazirite vow, which means not supposed to touch anything dead, not supposed to cut his hair, not supposed to partake of anything alcoholic. We don't know necessarily about the other two. It's just purely speculation. It's just an idea that we have that that's more than likely the case. But at the very minimum, he was supposed to be set apart by not touching anything alcoholic. He was supposed to look different, act different, be set apart I'm not going to get on the whole alcohol thing. I don't even care about that right now. I just want us to focus on what God is saying here about this man named John and the fact that he was supposed to be set apart. And he says that he is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And we know that there is a time when he comes in contact in the womb uh, with Jesus. And he actually leapt in the womb because he came in close proximity to Jesus while he was still in the womb. And wow, that is so cool. And the Holy Spirit just recognized the presence of Jesus. And John, uh, John the Baptist actually leapt in the womb. It says many, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Turn, there's that word. Tis the season, right, for repentance. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Unfortunately, he would not turn all the Israelites to the Lord their God because some of them would refuse to see what was going on here. They would have their eyes closed. They would have their blinders on, and they would refuse to see that though they had been praying for Messiah to come, that though they had prayed that God would rescue them, that even though God had, they refused to see it because it was not the way that they had intended It had not been the way that they wanted their prayer answered. Therefore, they refused to see that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus Christ was the answer to their prayers. It says, he will be a man filled with the Spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, what is interesting about this, what is so interesting about this is that there, you read that and you're like, the power of Elijah, man, that was a dude that performed some miracles and like he did some crazy, amazing stuff. Well, let me ask you this question. What miracles did John the Baptist perform? Do you remember any miracles that John the Baptist performed? We talk about miracles all the time. We want to see, man, I want to see God do some miracles. I want to see some stuff. I want to see somebody jump up out of a wheelchair and run around. I want to see some miracles. Well, I got a question for you. What what miracles did John the Baptist perform? It says right there in God's word that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And he has got the power of Elijah in him. And he's going to do stuff that that even Elijah didn't even do. What did he do? What did he do? I think I've got the answer. I've got the answer. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. When somebody repents and comes to God... That's a miracle. That's real power. That's real amazing miracle power to me is when somebody comes from death to life, when they repent of their sins, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the one true Messiah of God, that's a miracle. That's the kind of power I like to see. That's the kind of stuff that makes me want to jump and shout and run around the church is when I see that kind of miracle happen. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Man, you want to talk about having power. That's that's some real power. What did he do? He preached a message of repentance. He turned some people away from their wicked ways towards God. And he prepared the way for the Messiah. And as a result of that, he was put in prison and had his head cut off. And here the angel of the Lord said, man, this is going to be a great man. This is going to be a great man. By our standards today, I don't know that we would have thought of him as a great man. I don't know that we would have seen him as a miracle worker. I tell you what, I tell you what, I think we need to change the way we think. I think we need to pause sometimes and change the way we think about things. I think that we need to pause for just a moment and say, you know what is really amazing is something like repentance. When you see somebody's life transformed and you see that they are no longer all about themselves and they all of a sudden become all about Jesus Christ and honoring and and, and glorifying God Almighty. What a great miracle of God that is. And here, what, what does it say about John the Baptist? It says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Boy, that sounds all confusing, right? You're like, what does all that mean? A fathers to their children? Does that mean he's going like to make families whole again? Does that mean he's going to make, make like fathers come and hug their kids and all that? And, and what does that mean? That's a quote from Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, beginning of verse 4, it says, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I have given to him on Mount Sinai for all, all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arise. He, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. You know what this is basically saying? It's just saying that as you look back, and you look back at the history of Israel, and you look at what they really were at the very beginning, the fathers of Israel, the the fathers of this this nation that God made a covenant with, this original picture of what Israel was, making a connection with with that original fatherhood, that original connection of, of the covenant of God with his people, now extending it to the children, which will be the children, the ones that accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. The ones that don't turn a blind eye, that don't, they don't ignore the fact that Jesus Christ is really the Messiah. The ones that accept the truth that John the Baptist is, is coming to exalt Jesus Christ as the one true Messiah. Those that, that have this religiosity in their mind about what it means to be righteous, those that will actually accept That to be righteous means to accept Jesus Christ as the only way to be righteous. To accept his sacrifice and his message and his way as the one true way to God. You see, the angel of the Lord is just conveying this message. This connection that God is trying to establish with his people. Between the old and the new. Between what was and what is and what will be. And trying to say that all of those can be reconciled into one under this new Messiah that is to come. This Messiah that you've been praying for. This prayer request that you have had that has gone up to heaven for hundreds of years. It is being answered. And it is being answered in the form of Jesus Christ. And here, this man, John the Baptist, whose name represents the fact that God is gracious. He's going to be the one that leads the way. It says... I know that things are dark and dismal right now in the land of Israel. I know that things don't look so good. You've got an evil ruler. It looks like God has abandoned you because you haven't heard from God in such a long time. It looks like things aren't going so well around here. You people keep coming to the temple day after day after day. This, this, this remnant of people that keep coming and praying and asking God to send a Messiah. Well, today, God has heard your prayer. today, God of heaven has heard your prayer. And God has sent an answer to your prayer. And it didn't just come in the way that you thought it would come. It came in a brand new way. And, and here for you, Zachariah, not only did it come in, in, in a way that, that you wanted it to come, but it came in a double blessing. It came in, in, in a man who would prepare the way for Jesus, and it came in a way that would be your son that you thought you'd never have. You see, that's the way God works. That's the way God works. As the Christmas season approaches. See, we thought that we would be talking about all kinds of things like the innkeeper and his wife and all that kind of good stuff. And and that's great stuff for a Christmas play. And we'll see that when the kids put it on and and all that kind of stuff. But, But what I really want you to see this Christmas season, I really want you to see the condition of your heart. I really want you to see that what God desires before you ever start into this path of of celebrating Christmas is that God desires repentance from you. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It doesn't matter what what position you're in. God still desires for you to to, to put yourself, put all the stuff that's in, in your heart that's holding you back, to put it away so that you might have a heart that is turned towards Him, a heart that is pure, a heart that comes towards Him, a heart that is ripe for revival, God wants to do a reviving work in your life. But you have a work to do ahead of that. And that is a repentance work. If you want revival in your life, if you want God to shake you up to the core, you want God to do something great in your life, then you've got a work of repentance to do. Are you willing to put down that religiosity for a little while and accept the wisdom of God? Say, God, I need to start with a heart of repentance. If you're willing to do that, you got a chance today. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Lord, I pray that today people would have a heart of repentance. God, that you would do the work that we cannot do. God, as we as we get ready for revival in our lives, I pray that we would have revival at this, this Christmas time, this Christmas season as we celebrate you. God, we, we beg for revival in our lives. Lord, but we know that we have to have a heart of repentance to begin with. So Lord, I just pray. I pray that we, we look deep inside of our hearts. God, we look for things that are unpleasing to you. We look for things that, God, need to be just ripped from our hearts. God, we see those things for what they really are. That God, you open our eyes and let us see our hearts for what they really are. God, just, God, help us to see. Help us to see. Just like John the Baptist, when he came to this earth, he just helped people to see. God, I pray that our blinders would be taken off. God, that we'd have a heart of repentance. God, you would do a work of revival. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.